Okay, so I have an email here from Jeremy. And uh, I'm going to read parts of it real quick for you, simply to encourage you. Hi, Joseph. I know it's been quite a while since I emailed you, but I wanted to let you know that I've been listening to the Men of Torah podcast nearly every week and really been encouraged in my walk, and I'm often blown away by the insights that you guys come up with. Unless we talk about It seems like I'm constantly telling my wife that she needs to hear this or that episode because I can't possibly convey the whole thing. And he goes into uh, where they've been attending in Greensboro mm. and uh, talks about uh, the master being a Pharisee, potentially, and uh, a little bit of Karite influence and so forth, and is really leaning towards the Orthodox perspective. So um, I'd like you all to turn and give a big shout-out to Jeremy. Yeah. All right, that is great. It is not Jeremy, right? Uh, Rob? I, I would <laughs> I hate to mispronounce either Jeremy Serene or Jeremy Serene. It's I don't think it's Sarah. Anyway. Serena. Um, <laughs> Serena. Yeah. It's a good way to put the embossus on the wrong syllable. That's, that's right. Yeah, the corner was all Yeah. <laughs> Some people are easier. All right, here we go. Blessed are you, God, and our God, King of the universe, has sanctified us with his commandments. He's commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Bless, please, I'm our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. Wait, me and wait. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches the Torah to his people of Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. All right. So tonight's class is an overview of the 39th Malachi which would be Chotzoa, the Hebrew for transferring, uh, or some people know it as caring. So we're going to get into this. Um, I'm going to start by reading um, just a, fam a famous portion from, uh, as Pete would say, from the Greek. 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 <laughs> uh, this is Yochanan chapter 5. After this, there was a Judean festival, and Yeshua went up to Yerushalayim. In Yerushalayim, by the Sheep Gate, is a pool called in Aramaic, Beit, Beit Zada, uh, surrounded by five porches, in which lay a crowd of invalids, blind, lame, crippled. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Yeshua, seeing this man, and knowing that he had been there a long time, said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is disturbed. And while I'm trying to get there, someone goes in ahead of me. Yeshua said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Immediately the man was healed, and he picked up his mat and walked. Now that day was Shabbat. So the Judeans said to the man who had been, who had been healed, It's Shabbat. It's against Torah for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who healed me, he's the one who told me, Pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is the man who told you to pick up and walk? But the man, uh, 
uh, but the man who had the heel didn't know, but the man who had been healed didn't know who it was because Yeshua had slipped away into the crowd. Um, so, we're going to come back at the end of the class and talk about this particular incident. Did Yeshua violate the Torah or not in this particular incident as he was being accused, right? So, now, um, a couple of disclaimers right up front. I'm not a rabbi, and so, you know, I'm just going to share what what I know, which is not a lot. This topic is um, massive, uh, very, very broad. He plays a uh, rabbi on TV, though. <laughs> it's a very broad, very technical topic. Um, as I was studying, Chazal say in the materials that you study for this topic that this topic is addressed in the in the Talmud more than any other topic, bar none. Okay, uh, so it's a big deal. That's uh, why we gave it to you. <laughs> That's why you took it. <laughs> uh, so so it's a big deal. Uh, very technical. <laughs> We're only scratching the surface if we call it that. And I don't know all the answers. Um, and uh, so. Kind of learn this together, right? Um, there's a couple of other um, large kind of subtopics that, that are connected to Hotzah. Uh, the topic of Erovin, of, of, of building in a room, there's different kinds of rooms and when they apply and all that. We're not getting into any of that in this discussion. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on it briefly here and there, but this we're, we're not getting into a discussion on Erovin because that's a whole other. You know, class on its own. Okay, so uh, so, uh, so here we go. Um, so a common definition is simply uh, transfer of an of, of an object from one domain to another do domain. Uh, the Hebrew literally means taking out. Uh, so taking out of you know one domain into another domain, and there's really two key concepts. Um, that are really important uh, with the concept of transferring. Uh, um, the actual act of transferring itself, and then uh, the understanding of the domain. Okay, so we're going to kind of go through uh, the, the concepts here and just kind of scratch the surface on this. Hotzoa uh, and the Mishkan, Chazal uh, say where this comes into play. Uh, in terms of its connection to the, the tabernacle is when they would move the tabernacle, um, they were taking down the um, kerosene, which is the Hebrew for the, the tall planks that form you know, the outer perimeter. Uh, they were taking them down and putting them on wagons <laughs> to be moved. And so that was a transfer of those objects um, from one domain to another. Okay? And that was work that was done in connection with the tabernacle. And, and that's their uh, that's their connection as it were back to uh, the Mishkan in terms of how it ties back along with the other 38 um, so it's a big deal. Uh, somebody who's got a Bible Crack that open to uh, Jeremiah seventeen twenty one. Okay. 
uh, and then somebody else uh, grabbed Nehemiah 13, and we're going to look at some explicit texts I got the German. in I got the in the, um, the Tanakh and the prophets that uh, are pretty pretty straightforward on this topic. That makes this a very interesting and unique Malachi. It's one of the only ones that actually has commentary on it in the Tanakh itself. Correct. Yes. Uh, and very, very direct and explicit um, um, instruction as we're about to read. So, Jeremiah, go ahead. 17, 21 through 27. Thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day. Or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to them, to keep the Sabbath day holy, and not to bear a burden, and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and shall not be quenched. So, that prophecy is from the Lord, right? Very explicit, saying, do not bring in through the gates of Jerusalem the burden on Shabbat. Do not take out of your place the burden on Shabbat. And if you are obedient to that, then this city will be inhabited by, by princes and kings and, and, and all of that forever. And if you fail to be obedient to that, the city will burn. And of course we know from history you know, which way that you know, chip fell, right? So what's interesting here is you know, the exile, the Babylonian exile, we're told by the same prophet, we went into exile because we failed to be obedient to what? To the Shemitah, to the seven-year seven Sabbath cycle. That's what sent us into the um, to the Galut Babylon, to the Babylonian exile. But the reason the first temple, Baker Shon, and the city of Jerusalem were destroyed at that time was not because of failing to observe the Shemitah. It's because of this carrying burden on Shabbat. So. The reason that the uh, the reason that the, the reason that we have the reason the papers shown in Jerusalem were destroyed the first time, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar comes in and ransacks the city, destroys the first temple, takes every you know takes well not everybody kills a bunch of us, but takes a bunch of us to Babylon, right? And that began the Babylonian, Babylonian exile. The reason we went into exile was because we failed to observe the Shemitah cycle. But according to this prophecy that we just read, the reason Baker Shun and Jerusalem were destroyed is because we were 
we were carrying burdens on Shabbat. So it's a big deal. There was, we know historically, there was a major consequence to not observing this particular mitzvot in however it was understood. Right? Everybody see that? Yes. So, um, so key, the key concept there is transferring in, in the English translation there, they use the word burden. Uh, the Hebrew is masah, okay? Um, and it's specifically talking about in and out of the gates. Um, and uh, I think there's also uh, in and out of your place, right? So those are the key terms that, that we pick up on in this particular prophecy. But the key point here is it's a big deal in the eyes of God. Uh, who's got Nehemiah 13? John? <clears throat> in those days I saw men in Judah treading wine presses on Shabbat and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this to Yerushalayim on Shabbat. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Men from Tyre who lived in Yerushalayim were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Yerushalayim on Shabbat to the people of Yehuda. I rebuked the nobles of Yehuda and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating Shabbat? Didn't your forefathers do the same things? so that our God brought all this calamity upon us and upon this city, now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating Shabbat. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Yerushalayim and Shabbat, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until Shabbat was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on Shabbat. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods, of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Yerushalayim. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they no longer came on Shabbat. Then I commanded the Leviim to purify themselves and go and guard the whole of the gates in order to keep the Shabbat holy. Okay. So, now we've come back from uh, from Galibah. We've come back from Babylon. And we're now trying to rebuild the city, right, and, and all of that. And Nehemiah, you know, notices that on Shabbat, the, the city gates are open, and we've got merchants carrying in loads of, in this case, goods specifically for, you know, uh, for buying and selling. Um, and he, you know, he takes a serious issue with that to the point where he says, I... You know, if you do this again, I will lay hands on you. And we're not talking about the imparting of the Okay, uh, he is threatening uh, force. He's threatening violent force if they continue this practice. Okay, um, and so we learn from we learn from here that again we've got the same issue of bringing in loads. Um, uh, you know, in and out of the city gates. Um, we also, of course, learned from this particular passage uh, you know, that buying and selling on Shabbat is also um, an issue, uh, although that's a different, you know, it's kind of a different topic in the book, but closely connected, obviously. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a big deal. Um, so we have a lot of explicit discussion in the Nevi'im um, about the issue of transfer. Okay. 
everybody with me so far? With you. All right. So, uh, Mekoshesh, the stick gatherer, right? Um, so we just read this in last week's Torah portion, right? Um, from Numbers 15. Uh, so we have the issue of the Israelite who goes out um, on Shabbat and he is gathering um, sticks uh, and there's some people who see him doing this and uh, come to Moses and say, hey, we've got a problem here. Problem is, we found this Shmo out gathering sticks on the Shabbat. Okay. Um, so the word for gathering is memar. Um, uh, the question here is, what did he do wrong? What specifically was the problem? You know, was it that he was gathering? Was it that he was transferring? Uh, or was it that he was cutting? On, uh, cutting. All three of these are different malachim. Okay. Well, that's transferring. That's what's up. Okay. okay. What was it that he was doing that resulted in his his in capital punishment? Uh, it's interesting in the um, in the rabbinic materials. You know, there's a lot of discussion about well, what exactly was you know was his crime, right? And it could have been, you know, he, he clearly was doing the first. He was uh, almost certainly probably doing the second. And what, and we don't know. It's a little more speculative on whether he was doing the third. Was he cutting them and picking them up, or was he just picking up these sticks, right? But uh, he was. Probably doing at least two of those three, right? Now, interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that comes out of this is this particular incident. Uh, they argue is evidence for the oral tradition because this is Exodus chapter. Uh, I'm sorry, this is uh, Numbers 15. Uh, they uh, how did they get there? They said uh, somehow the the 39, the 39 Malachot, um, I'm trying to remember how they got there. Their point was that at the time this happened, not not all of this was understood yet, right. or wasn't explicit yet, but yet they knew it was a problem. Like, how did they know that, it, that, that you know, gathering was a problem? Because we don't have anything explicit, um, you know, about... About that, uh, we have the one reference in Exodus 16, which we'll talk about in terms of not going out of your place to gather manna. Well, how about right. not gathering? What's right. that? Because that's what I would have done. I don't know what not the Hebrew gathering. is, but I would have said not gathering yeah. manna. Don't, well, don't gather the manna, therefore don't gather any. The right. same way we say you don't. Um, he talks about like not cooking on Shabbat. Yeah. We extrapolate that to you can cook or not. You can cook on Yom Tov. It's extrapolated to you. Don't put that. So extrapolation is the oral Torah, though. No, it's not exactly. It's it's more like this is a principle that you apply elsewhere. Like I think that that's a little bit different. Well, and and I and, and I'm not doing I'm not doing this point justice because uh, when I when I read it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And now I can't. Now I forgot. Uh, I, I'll go back and get, get a clarification email around. But there was a the point was that 
this was not this was not at all clear that um, it was explicitly wrong uh, or that it was certainly worthy of capital punishment. But yet, when the people saw them, saw them, they knew they knew there was a problem, right? Well, how did they know if it if it wasn't if it hadn't been made explicit? Unless it had been made explicit through an oral, some sort of oral understanding is, is, is the point of it. But the, they tied it, they tied it together better than I'm not doing it justice. But the point is, uh, going back to the incident itself, we know that he was definitely doing that. You know, the text itself is pretty explicit about that. And this inference is highly, highly probable, probable right? Well, so it said specifically that he was carrying. Well, it depends on your English translation. Oh, the, yeah. So it's the, not the, clear the, the, Hebrew. the Hebrew word, I think, is, is gathering. But but by by implication, though, if you're yeah. gathering, what are, what are we gathering them into? Yeah. And it's so um, so that's why it's almost assured that he was doing that as well, right? And so and we stole it was for God's that? instruction. What, what, what are, oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, yeah. I was just going to say one of our speculations in our community is also that, you know, what was the guy going to do with the wood? And, you know, obviously, you know, he's probably going to light a fire, yeah, hope, probably going to cook something. Hope, and hopefully, based on my uh, my private sin, the intention is not sin yet. Right. So, even, sure. so, so even if he were intending to violate yet another prohibition, he can't be stoned for intending to do something. Exactly. He'll only be stoned for actually doing something, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so he actually did something worthy of capital punishment, and it was one or both or possibly those three things. Okay, yes, sir. To go back to the gathering manna, when I, I remember reading last time I remember reading it, and I, it, remember, it struck me not so much as commandment as if you try to go and gather manna on Shabbat, there won't be any. So make sure you gather on Friday. Well, I mean, so, granted, but when the people do try, because some of them go out on Shabbat to gather. Hashem gets really upset with Moses, and he's like, "I told them not to do that." So, to, in my in my thoughts on this particular incident, my interpretation this is again, I haven't done a study on it per se, but it looks to me like the people already got a mulligan. You know, some people went to go gather, and God had to repeat and make it very clear that that specifically is what I told you not to do. And then this guy goes out and does it as well. However, there are some weird Jewish traditions about this one. There are even some that have like a lot of um, uh, wonky ideas exactly what he's doing. There's actually one one tradition that Chabad.org that actually said that he uh, was going out to um, that the people had like lost track or something like that, um, on, and they were preparing to break the Shabbat or getting close to it or something along those lines. So he actually broke the Shabbat, like suffer the consequence of it. Yeah. So that way, people will be like kind of shocked back that into the system. That midrash is a popular midrash that the Mechoshesh, which is he's now kind of come to be known as, um, that he was actually sacrificing himself intentionally as as a illustrated sermon, if you will, to the rest of the nation. That look, you can't, you cannot do this. Watch me do this. Don't do this. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to take one for the take team, one for the right? team. <laughs> to make sure that you guys don't follow my footsteps. Uh, now, who knows if that's true or not, but that's a common, commonly understood midrash. So. 
Well, uh, the sage is also starting to look at things in a good light. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so a key concept here that's a basis for Hotsoa is this idea of going out of your place, right? And and the basis for that in the Torah, of course, is Shemot 16, let every man remain in his place, let no man leave his place on the seventh day. Okay? Um, in the context here specifically, as we've already talked about, it's in the gathering um, and, and transferring uh, manna. And so uh, Tractate Aramean's 17b specifically points to this as the Torah basis for this concept of, um, of, a, of a place or as it's also referred more in a technical sense, a domain. Okay. Um, so it's important to understand what is your place, you know, what's not your place. That's a key concept in 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 the, the idea of Hotsoa and, and knowing, you know, when you're permitted to transfer, when you're not, etc. Um, so we're going to dive into the concept of domains. So this is where it starts to get. Uh, you know, more halakhic and, and more technical. And, I mean, there is a ton of discussion on all of these things. So, again, I'm, I'm, we're barely, I'm not sure we call it scratching the surface. I mean, it's, isn't there several tractates of the tongue? Well, Erevin. Well, there's two, there's there's two volumes of Erevin. But this explicitly deals with it, but it comes up pretty much in every chapter. Yeah, right. There's two volumes of Erevin. You know where this is a key just teaching about right. the domain, right? and then there's there's three or four volumes to Tractate sh uh, uh, Shabbat, right. uh, of which this is you know all, again a central focus. So uh, and then to Taylor's point, uh, again it's talked about more than any other single topic in the entire topic. So so you have four um, four types of domains. We have what's called the Rishut Hayaki which is translated as a private domain. Um, we have a Rishut Harabim, which is uh, translated as a public domain. We have something called a Carmelite, which is sort of a neutral area. It, it, it has, sometimes it has um, attributes that are similar to a private domain and attributes that are similar to a public domain, so it's kind of somewhere in, in between, if you will. Um, and then we have this um, idea of Makom Hatur, which is uh, an exempt area or, or object. Okay. So we're going to dive into each one of these um, a little bit. So with respect to Reshut Hayakim, um, the Kalakic definition is it's an area that's at least four tefahim square, enclosed with partitions on at least three sides, um, and, and by the way, don't get too confused with the, the idea. It's called a private domain. It doesn't have necessarily anything to do with ownership. Um, it's more just the characteristics of the space itself. Um, there's there's one incident. There is one air, one time where uh, who actually owns the space does you know can matter, but um, but generally it has nothing to do with, with ownership. In other words. There could be a public domain that is owned privately by one person. Okay, so it really has to do more with the characteristics of the space versus the ownership of the space in most cases. So common examples would be, you know, your home. Most buildings um, would be, you know, uh, would typically be a, a shoot kind of heat. 
a walled city, obviously Jerusalem falls into that category, uh, uh, fenced-in yards, a phone booth, as long as it's more than, you know, uh, four tefillin square, a phone booth potentially is a private domain, a uh, car, you know, car, if you're sitting in your car, that's a private domain, um, a stadium, uh, there was even an example of a large trash can. I was scratching my head a little bit on that. I'll try to figure out. Uh, uh, one foot, one square. I guess just don't go digging through somebody's trash on the Shabbat. Yeah, uh, I'm not thinking the likelihood of that is high for me. So, uh, so that's kind of the basic, um, really, really basic high level uh, outline of a private domain, Rashu Kayahi. Okay? Um, we have the Rashut Harabim, this is the public domain. So the halakhic definition is uh, a, a large open area that's at least 16 amot, approximately 25 feet. Um, it's usually uncovered and unenclosed. Um, and the other characteristic that's common for this would be, you know, it's um, large groups of people congregate or there's significant kind of regular traffic, you know, in this area. Um, and traffic, not necessarily mean car traffic, but just, you know, uh, traffic. In fact, one, you know, some opinions actually argue that uh, a true Rashid Harabim uh, has to have 600,000 people moving through it. They get that reference from the number of, of men that came out of Egypt. Uh, but most, are, you know, most uh, opinions say, no, it doesn't have to have 600,000 people. It just has to have, you know, regular and significant, you know, activity. Um, so that's the halakhic uh, definition. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a public property, although it certainly could be. Common examples would be highways, busy streets and thoroughfares. Uh, uh, the sidewalk would be considered public domain. City parks, markets. Uh, you know, again, it could be. A, uh, it could be a privately owned space that just has lots of traffic for whatever reason, right? Um, so that is the, you know, the high level outline of a Rishut Karamin. Then we get into um, a Carmelite. So the Carmelite, uh, by the way, is so Rishut Ayahid, Rishut Karamin are Torah concepts or Torah domains. Uh, terms of defined by the Torah according to Chazal. Carmelite is really a um, uh, an innovation from the rabbis for those spaces that didn't really clearly fit in one or the other. So uh, this is uh, referred to as a Carmelite. Um, and so that is at least four Tepakim Square uh, that's not enclosed, right? So it's not similar to the private domain um, or heavily populated, so it's not similar to the Rashid Harabim, but it's but there could be you know there could be some activity going on, but just not lots or not regular. Um, so this is going to typically be open areas like countrysides, um, uh, rivers, lakes, ponds, ocean. Most rural areas are probably going to be um, Carmelite. Um, uh, small uh, smaller side streets that just maybe don't have a lot of traffic, you know, small side streets in a neighborhood could potentially be <coughs> as a Carmelite. So there's a little bit, 
um, you know, there's a little bit of some judgment involved here because, again, you can have situations where it could be a crime elite, it could be a, um, it could be a uh, public domain, a Rashid Kaya Harabim. And so, because it's similar um, as a fence, the uh, the rabbis basically say, basically say the halakha is the same. Whether you're in a uh, Rashut Harabim or you're in a Carmelite, the restrictions on transferring are treated the same because of the possibility that sometimes it's hard to distinguish really which is which. So be safe, we're just going to have the same halakha. We'll talk about that. And then finally, the Makom Batur is also a de uh, Rabbanan kind of innovation. Um, it's a small area or object that's um, less than four tefakim square of horizontal surface space, uh, more than three tefakim higher or lower than the surrounding uh, area or space. So it's not similar to the other three domains at all. It's essentially, they refer to it as a non-domain. Okay? Um, and inside a chromoline, you cannot have a cannot have a Macomb Batur inside a Carmelite. Anything inside a Carmelite has the status of a Carmelite. But if you're in a public domain, you can have a Macomb Batur inside a public domain. So there's a couple of little distinctions like that. And so common examples would be a fire hydrant, telephone pole, parking meter, a narrow pit, a manhole, your mailbox, right? Because your mailbox is typically uh, on the side of the street, most of the time the street is going to be considered uh, harabim in public. Um, but the mailbox is would be a makom pator in the public domain. Okay, um, so uh, traffic signs. Okay, so you have this concept of makom pator. Okay, so these are the four basic domains. Yes, sir. Just a quick clarification, because I would think a neighborhood is in the back of the traffic. So was there a threshold of traffic when it came to public domain versus the Carmelite? Well, so, so that, that's what uh, I mentioned earlier. So some opinions trying to create the right line there say it's not public unless there's 600,000 know, people. And that reference comes from the number of men that were in the camp, right? Yeah. But most opinions say, well, Okay, that's not really that's not really practical because most, you know, most entire cities don't even have six hundred thousand people, right? Um, so most opinions don't say you need to have six hundred thousand people, uh, but some people, some opinions, in an effort to try to have a bright line to make it very clear, pointed to that, and and so you're right. So if, if you're in a you know kind of a bedroom neighborhood like this, are is there traffic on the roads in the neighborhood? Yes. Is it a lot of traffic that one could consider a public domain? Maybe. Maybe not, right? And so in other words, there's kind of this, when it comes to is it truly a public do domain versus a Carmelite, it's not always clear cut, which is why you don't have to worry about it, because the Holocaust is the same. But except for except for what? Well, these uh, mailboxes wouldn't be considered a Macomb-Pator in a Carmelite. Right. So no, it's not, it's not. There are no Macomb 
Pator in a Carmelite. So here's an obvious Carmelite, right? <coughs> obvious Carmelite would be the little field up here on the corner of Philip and 51, 51 right? right? That big field, right? That's an obvious Carmelite, okay? Um, uh, a less obvious Carmelite would be Philip. Because there's definitely public traffic on that road. Is that a lot? You know, is it a lot? Which is it regular? Major maybe, maybe not. You know, reasonable people could differ on that, right? So, then so the that box that is there would not count. If, uh, if 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 it if if you had an opinion, if your local Orthodox rabbi said it's a Carmelite then the mailbox would not be an accompanitor because you cannot have an accompanitor inside a carmelite. If the local Orthodox rabbi said that Philip, it, Philip is uh, Rashut Karabim, then a, a mailbox along the side of the road could be an accompanitor. Now, what about, this is kind of awkward, but what about a movable domain? Because you mentioned a car before. I know the issue of of ignition and electricity and all that stuff is by itself a problem. But at the very beginning, you mentioned the carts. And so the reason I'm asking is if, hypothetically speaking, you were to transfer an object from a physical domain, like a house, into a movable domain, like a wagon or a car, inside the house, like in a garage, could you then take things in the vehicle to a certain place yeah. as long as you didn't take it out of the car in a public domain? That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, so that's a great question because I've wondered the same thing. <laughs> okay. So the question being, so before I, before I. Yeah, for the, for the noobs that are still wondering what the heck we're caring about a Macomb Pateur, let, let's figure what that is. Okay, well, before I give you my view on your question, going back here, right, what, 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 was, what was the domain that we were in when we were, when the Tabernacle was handed? We can't. Um, what, what is it physically sitting on? The ground. The ground. The so desert. Ravine. Okay. The, the desert. desert. Now, normally, a desert would be a what? A Carmelite. A Carmelite. Oh. Okay. But since there's 600,000 people encamped around the right. tabernacle, Ravine. and it's basically a city in the desert, it's, you know, it's, it's a public domain. Right. So we're taking... The kerosene, the planks, from the public domain, the desert floor, and putting them, transferring them onto um, the Adalut, which are wagons, which is a moving domain. Right. Because a wagon, a truck bed, a car is a is a private domain. So we're going from Rashut Harabim to Rashut So It's considered private even though it's sanitary. Like it, doesn't have, it doesn't have three closed sides, but it's still considered. Well, in your picture, it doesn't. In, in, in the picture, yeah, this this was. Well, like even the back of the truck. In the back, of, in the back of the truck, there right? are three. So let's say let's say I'm standing on the sidewalk, um, and I'm holding something. Right. Whatever it is. I've got a bag. Um, nobody here drives a pickup truck, so I can't use any use pick on, but. So let's assume somebody, a friend of mine, pulls up in his pickup truck next to me. I'm on the sidewalk. He pulls up on the street next to me. 
and I take my bag and I put it in the back of his pickup and then I get in the car. I've just transferred from a public domain, probably, or a Carmelite, but the Huff has the same, so it doesn't really matter. I've transferred, let's call it a public domain, public domain, into the back of his pickup truck. That's a private domain. Just like okay. here. Just like here. What if, what if it's a public transportation? No, no. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't matter about who owns it. It's just what's the attributes of space. So what would be like something that doesn't have walls? I'm picturing the back of a truck that doesn't have walls. You're thinking like a, like, a, like a flatbed. A flatbed. Yeah. Is that what does it look like? Probably <laughs> private. It's probably private, but yeah, that's where all the technicalities come into play. Okay. I don't know. Do we get the rules yet? I'm just, okay. I get the definitions. Give me some rules. Well, we got to work through the definitions so you understand the rules. Right? So, yeah. um, you get it. So, everybody, everybody clear yeah. on the definition of Macomb Yes. I, I just want to make sure we're clear. The definition for um, the private domain being closed just means the size. It does not mean it has to have a top. It, uh, it definitely has to have at least three sides enclosed. And, and, right. And oftentimes it will have a top, but it doesn't have to. Oh, that's true, because technically a, a suka would count. Yeah, and the suka, suka is, is a, not supposed a to have like a real top in the walled city. I just wanted, because when, when you say close, I immediately think like walls. Roof. No, it doesn't have to have a roof. Okay. Um, a, a caramel. Uh, uh, Public domain almost will never have a roof on. Um, I'm sure there's an exception somewhere that I can't think of, but generally speaking, it would never have a roof. A private domain doesn't have to have a roof, but oftentimes it will. It's a home or a building or something. So, um, okay. okay. So right, now, we now we gotta. So now we 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 define the domains. Now we have to actually talk about the actual act of transferring. So transferring requires the existence of two things. Akira, which is defined as removing, so removing the object, and then Hanaka, not Hanuka. Okay, it's not the holiday, although it's very similar sounding. Hanaka, uh, which is depositing. So a transfer is not complete unless I unless I remove it you know, it's, it's in one domain, I remove it, go from one domain to the next, and then deposit it. That's Hotsoa. If, if the Ahira and the Hanakha, and of course the, the transfer between domains, or, as we'll see in a minute, in a public domain, you can't carry in a public domain more than four modes. So if you're in a public domain, you can't transfer within the domain. Um, but you don't have, you don't have Hotsoa if those two things are not true. Okay, that's important to understand. So when you were standing there and your buddy drove up with the pickup truck and you took the bag you were carrying and put it in his truck, I get the deposit. I don't see the removal. So you take it away from so, the So this is, where it's, this is where it's technical, right? Because I'm standing in a I'm standing in a public domain, yeah. okay, and I'm I'm stationary, right? Right. That object, that in this case a bag, is in the public domain. It's it's as if it's 
in the it's in the public domain. And then when I take it across, and, and even if I even if my feet don't literally step, you know, yeah, out, you didn't move. If I just go over and deposit it into the back of the truck, yeah, so you've removed I, I've removed it, and then as soon as I put it down, I've deposited it. Now we've had a transfer. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not it's resting on the ground, you can still remove it even. Right, and, and, and this will this will become clear when we talk through some more practical examples. Yes, sir. You may answer this eventually too, but I just one of the examples I was thinking of was wallet. Basically, you put it in your pocket from a private domain. You might go into a public domain, but it doesn't come back out again, so you're back in your public domain. So there isn't technically a depositing, but then you mentioned carrying it a certain number of votes in a public. Yeah. So that I think answers my. Is clothing considered a dopey? So clothing, there are volumes <laughs> on clothing, right? Malouche is one topic that's all about garments. And, you know, is the garment uh, ornamental? Is it functional? Because there can be different rules. We're not getting into all that detail. We'll hit on some practical cases, but that, that, that's one of the class. Okay. Um, so, um, so again, you have to have the removal of the object from a set place and the deposit of the object that was removed um, in the in the other domain. Clear? Clear. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, has to be stationary. This is again talking about removal. The conditions for here as the object was stationary. Um, the entire object has to be removed. So let's say, uh, let's say I'm standing in my doorway with a with um, with a broom. I just happen to have a broom in my hand, and I accidentally uh, I accidentally drop the broom, and it falls out the door. But half the broom is still in the house. The other half of the broom is now in the public domain, right? Um, do I have a do I have a Kira? No. I don't. No, no okay, issue. So, so you're standing there with your bag full of uh, melons and your buddy drives up with the uh, pickup truck again and you take each melon out of your bag and put it in his truck. But you hold on to the bag. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just so, consult your own that's, doctor. That's what we're talking about, right? I mean it's that's what makes it messy. Don't if you take the whole bag, you're good. Yeah, I, okay. But if you're moving pieces part, again, I'm not the that's where it gets But my guess would be whether you're whether you're transferring the melons one at a time or the whole bag, you're still your transferring. Well, and I okay. think that the yeah, bag is a private domain. Well, because the because the, um, the individual the bag is probably because the individual status, components would still be entireties. Right? Have the melons. Mm -hmm. No, then you're right. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, but yeah. even then, we're talking about whole things. Like, his okay. example of the broom is a good one because yeah. it's one object. You can't divide the object and say, well, this piece... Like, if you if you took the broom handle off and it fell out and you're still holding the other half of the broom, you still have something that went outside because the entirety of it is outside now. Even though it's technically not what you started with, it's still all of it. So this goes back like to what we talked about before about the fixing things, the repairing on Shabbat. It's like it's one thing to like restore it; it's another thing to repair it. Yeah. Now, so Chazal say 
you know, biblically speaking, those three conditions must be present. Now, rabbinically, they are there are cases where it can still be a rabbinic violation even if you don't have all three of those conditions, right? Again, fences that they've created to make sure we don't uh, you know, we don't violate the Torah prohibition. Uh, so examples lifting an item from a round floor table, kicking a pebble while walking in the street, right? So transferring how you the manner in which you transfer uh, is really relevant. Whether you're picking it up, carrying it yourself, whether you're dragging it, whether you're kicking it, if you're moving it in some manner from a stationary point to what you know, and it's coming to rest in another domain, or more than six on a um, farther away in a public domain, you transfer. In fact, I think this is also one of the reasons why you can't ride a bike on Shabbat, at least outside of the roof. And there's obviously other reasons why you're not supposed to get inside of the roof, but outside of the roof, because it's seen as a form of carrying or transferring, because you are essentially moving it from one domain to another. Right. Right. Okay. So kicking the rock on the street, you're transferring it. It seems like it's in a public domain. You're transferring. Just don't kick it more than six a month. Yeah. Or four a month. Four. About the six feet. But so, but like, according to number one, if you were to accidentally kick your soccer ball out of the street and it stayed moving, you could run after it and kick it back. Because it never if it never comes to a stop, you do not have what's up. I would love to see that, by the way. No, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Dude, I mean, in, in soccer time. Context. Here's a you know, right where you were getting at. Right? Get walking, <laughs> walking with an object in your pocket. Right? You're you're removing if I've got my wallet or my keys or whatever in my pocket when I leave my house and I'm walking, I have removed it from the private domain and I'm now walking in a public domain, let's say. I've removed it. I haven't deposited it yet unless I stop walking. <laughs> no, this is this is that te- that technicality is important. I bet that's a saving grace. You'll see. Okay. Now, yeah. I think Johnny has a question for you today. Is that um, is that incumbent upon men and women, children? Like is it, or is it at some point a time bounded? I didn't see any. I didn't see any discussion on being time bounded. Um, so my understanding, my understanding is it is it is um, it is um, both men and women are obligated. Don't all negative commandments apply to both? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the time bound is irrelevant. There's only seven differences. Right. But they're all positive and time bound. Positive time bound. Yeah. Yeah. This is both keeping challenge. No, no. Well, you're right. But this is also. I'm just saying this. Like, this is specifically a negative one. Do not do this. Which would. Right. No exception. Well, I was just thinking about it in terms of like the women who have to carry children. Usually within, talk about that. Within, within, a, within a, a carrier or the carrier is or the issue. Like actually, that. there's a reason so in a. In let's let him teach. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about some of this. So, uh, <laughs> pausing. Here's the conditions that are required. Object must come to rest. Uh, stopping to rest while carrying something. Right. That's you deposited. Okay. 
unless the only exception is is if you're only stopping to adjust your load for the purpose of, of continuing. So if I leave my house with you know a heavy backpack, you know, and I'm walking, if I have to stop momentarily just to you know adjust the backpack for the purpose of continuing to walk, that is permissible. Uh, that's not considered depositing. But other than that, if you're carrying something casually and you stop, you brought it to a complete rest. Um, and the object must be deposited in a usual manner. So you, know, you normally, you know, set the book down on the table. You know, so that those sorts of common uh, common ways in which you deposit that particular item. Um, and again, you know, rabbinically, you can solve the problem if not even if not all those conditions are present. But that's a, uh, that's more detail than you need to. So again, you know, the pebble kicked into the street. Um, uh, the deposit occurs when it comes to rest. So if I launch a pebble, it would be appropriate for us to get into a geosynchronous orbit around the planet. You're good. You're yeah. good. Okay. So it's you and now in a very public So what's the law? So here's here's uh, here's a table. Okay. So we have the from, the domain we're transferring from, the domain we're transferring to. Torah law, rabbinic law, and some just some notes where appropriate. So, you uh, both uh, from Torah law and rabbinic law, you cannot transfer from a, from a uh, reshut hayachid to a reshut harabim. Uh, you can also not transfer rabbinically from a reshut hayachid to a carmelite. Okay, but because a carmelite is not uh, an explicit Torah concept, then presumably in Torah law. Would, it would be permissible, or at the very least, it's you know, inconclusive. But rabbinically, it's prohibited. And of course, the opposite, you know, going from private to a private domain, same law. You cannot, um, or you can transfer from a Rashid Hayakim to a Makom Both, um, uh, again, the Makom again, is a rabbinic innovation. So, it's permitted by the rabbis, and because it's the Torah, is it's, it's, because it's not in the Torah, presumably it's also permitted by the Torah, right? Um, you can, you might, you can, in some cases, transfer from a Rishut Hayahi to another Rishut Hayahi if you have a proper kosher root present. Okay? That's what you guys did in Israel. Yes. Yeah. So that's where the Erovim come into play. Um, and, and so that's the reason why, you know, uh, in a Orthodox community, they'll have a um, kosher uh, halakhically separate room around the designated area, which essentially turns the entire area into a private domain so that you can, you know, you can transfer. Um, and you know, that discussion on you know, different types of aerobine and how they're constructed, blah, 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 that's a whole other body of knowledge, right? Um, but you cannot just take, um, you cannot just take from your house and walk next door to the neighbor and walk into their house. You still, you know, if you don't have an room, you still um, have a problem, okay? Now, uh, you cannot go from a 
Haramim to Hayahim, uh, both uh, biblically or rabbinically, um, so forth and so on. Okay, and again, within a public domain, you are prohibited from transferring more than four of them, roughly six feet. So, in the case of going from private to exempt, so private would be my house, the cone. McComb Couture would be a mailbox. So does the distance between my front door and the mailbox, would that come into play? Or is that mm -hmm. still... So your, if driveways, I in your driveway, unless you've got an enclosed yard uh, or you know, whatever, or a room of some sort around your house, your driveway is a okay. But So if you had a little box like connected to your door, you could put something in your door and then someone could come from outside and take that something out of the door. Because public to exempt is okay and private to exempt is okay. Okay, so here's another little technicality. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so close. <laughs> so so here's, here's an example that's kind of along the same lines, not a mailbox, but let's say um, my wife has a window ledge flower thingy, yeah. right? So it's outside the wall of my home, but it's attached to the window. So it's a protrusion, if you will, from my home, which is a private domain. Okay. In in that particular case, it's considered because it's kind of overhanging a carmelite, which would be my yard, assuming I don't have any closed yard uh, or a courtyard of some type. It's overhanging a carmelite, but. Um, and there's, again, rules, it's got to be a certain distance off the ground, blah, blah, blah. But normally, something like that, because it's attached to the, uh, directly attached to the private domain, and it's not touching the carnelian or whatever, it's kind of overhanging it, that windowsill flower pot thing is considered private domain. So, uh, so she, my wife could, you know, take a flower from the, what the window flower pot bring it into the house there's no problem with that because it's all private domain okay. so, so a mailbox that's attached to the house I think that's kind of what you were describing well that's fine okay. I understand yeah I understand alright so this is the basic the very basic high level helicopter okay um, so let's get into some practical examples alright so what I did and I said, okay, let's let's assume we're going to do a hypothetical. Let's assume you know you guys have all been working hard for for those who are married or those who are about to be. Right? Um, you decide you're going to take your your beautiful bride and your small children on a weekend getaway to just kind of decompress, right? Well, R and R. So you decided that you're going to go have a weekend getaway to the beach, right? Which of course means you're going to be um, away from your uh, normal home for for Shabbat, right? okay? So you're staying at a plush resort hotel right on the water, all the amenities, you know, it's great, right? Um, you, you arrive Thursday morning, right? You're going to spend the whole long weekend. You're going to check out. Monday morning, come back, nice quarter weekend on the beach with the family. Um, so Friday comes around, right? Day of preparation. preparation. 
So, as is your custom, you guys make some necessary preparations for the Sabbath. Uh, some of those preparations would be a little different because you're not in your normal place, but you would make whatever preparations in terms of food and all that kind of stuff, right? So, question number one, what is your place when the sun sets on that Friday? The room. Huh? The room? The hotel room. Not the hotel. What's that? Not the entire hotel. Okay. So, the hotel room or the condo, as it were, whatever you're staying in, that would be in your private domain. Right. Okay. Now, so, you know, Shabbat begins, you know, right before Shabbat, of course, you light candles, you enter Shabbat, you have a nice meal which you prepare ahead of time or whatever you did that. And then, um, you know, a little later on in the evening, your wife realizes there's no ice in the little hotel mini fridge thing. She says, uh, babe, can you take the little bucket here and walk down the hall and get some ice from the ice back, machine? From the ice machine in the hall. Down the hall. Okay, so permissible or not? No, if a private I say says, yes. yes. Who says yes? Yes. Private to private. Three, four, okay. Five. All right. And so we have five yes. Never left the domain. I'm not, never left the domain. I'm a little unclear about. Like me and my neighbor, I know two private domains, and it's prohibited for me to bring that over to them. But is it prohibited because we're separated by it? Right. Something. Right. Right. So right. we're, we're in one big condo place. I probably think that the hotel will function as a room. Okay. And you would be correct. <laughs> so you can move objects within the hotel. No problem. Okay, but this is important because some might think like an apartment complex might work in a similar manner. Different. You would think wrong. Okay, because the if you're in an apartment complex, the common stairs, the common halls, um, those are carmelite typically. You know. Um, uh, unless you've worked out in a room arrangement with all the neighbors in your little unit or whatever. Um, so if you are in your apartment and you step out and, and, and transfer something into the little alleyway, you know, yeah. or vice versa, you've transferred from one domain to another. Private to public. Private to public. Private to public. I was it's in one building. Well, but no. I mean, the condo. It's just one but, big building, but like the, a hotel. But a lot of those little walkway so areas. So I can go down the three hall, sides get the ice. I'm still inside the building. The it's wall with the doors and the wall on each end. A lot of times. Hotel. I mean, obviously, we're talking about like a domain. hotel scenario. That's different. But if we're talking about. I can about go like into your room. You can go into my room. situation is. I go downstairs. So it's possible to have the common area be private. Sure, it's possible. But you're talking about the common area is not. But I'm talking in most apartment complexes, you have common area that's open at one end, it's open at the other end, right? There's stairs, you know, if you live on the second or third floor, there's stairs that go down, right? That is Carmelite. That's a different domain. Even though you've got... Because I was thinking like my old apartment complex had a staircase coming out, 
but there was actually an enclosure on each side plus the wall with the oh, doors yeah. and the and stairs came off the front. section there might be fine. So yeah, yeah. Orthodox orthodox rabbis, but yours was open and it open up both sides. Right, yeah. so you've only well, got two, two walls then. One stair and then there's two walls and the back wall. Like, that's where he was living. So to go from one door to the other, you're still within a place within three walls. Right. Which would theoretically seemingly fall into the category. Of Sorry, whereas so yours was more like a hallway. Ours was not considered private. Sorry. A tunnel is not considered a tunnel. Because I've seen the roof. My understanding. Not the rabbi. My understanding is no. So unless unless there's a proper, because essentially what the what the roof does is, and this is where the concept of ownership does play a little bit of a role with respect to private domain. In order for adjacent apartments or courtyards or whatever to be considered all one private domain, they would actually have to be owned by the same uh, person or persons in order to, you know, in other words, my house, you know, the, you know, the living room that we're in, right, that has four walls, right, could be its own private domain, but I can transfer from the living room to the kitchen because it's all, you know, it's all, I own it all, it's all adjacent to each other, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the whole point of an room is you are taking um, private domains that are adjacent or close proximity, maybe there's some Carmelite or some other types of areas in between, but the room is basically holochically saying, you know, this is all being treated as uh, common ownership for the purpose of um, a private domain. Which is why the tunnel cake okay, is one person owns the entire thing. And I didn't mind so not too technical, but isn't that the exact same concept as the apartment? No, no one owns the apartment except the apartment complex. So everyone's just renting, just like you rent a hotel, just for an extended period of time. Well, there's so now you're introducing another concept, oh, okay. which is which I didn't get into. Because you're just talking about the But there's, this con- there's an idea of residency in the hall. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm not a resident at the hotel, but I am a resident in my apartment. Uh, Plus, also, in the room, technically, doesn't the roof have to have food in it? Depends on the type of room. That's okay. Whole (laughs) other other (laughs) Okay. Uh, So, continuing with our hypothetical. So, we've determined that you can go down the hall, get the ice, because you're in a hotel. Hotels are normally um, private domain. Um, Okay. Left the suitcase. Next morning, you get up, you get dressed. Turns out that there's a shul a couple blocks down the road. So you great. We'll walk down to the shul. We'll do some some uh, shockery prayers. You know, great. You know, so um, uh, so you walk to the shul carrying your snore and your top no. kosher. No, no, no. Why not? Well, you you take your carrying the right of dogs. From, from private domain to public domain to private domain. Yes. Now, if they only transfer you to leave, it's like strapped over. I was about to say, if you're wearing it, if you're wearing it, then it's considered a garment. So that's why, like, when you're in Jerusalem, a lot of times you'll see, or, or even sometimes even in the States, you'll see, um, you'll see men walking to shore with their tali already on. 
Right, so I get it, and, and, I, and I think I got that one right in my head. Um, so I don't get the earlier example or uh, point of if I'm carrying a burden, but I don't stop, except to adjust it so that I can continue going. Was that the idea of, I, you know, I got my bag of Twinkies on the back, and I can go take a lap around the around the uh, yard or around the uh, neighborhood and come back and put it down. That's okay? Because I don't get... But you're starting like, from like public I said, in that one, right? No, I'm, st I'm starting private. No, you both. can't do that. You can't start private, go public, go back to private. Even if it's the same private. Uh, he just right? said that I could carry a load, a burden. But that's only if you start in public, right? I mean, I'm just trying to clarify. I didn't hear that part. Um, Wait for him. The, the exception that they noted where if you are carrying a burden, and, what, and we're, not, we're typically talking about not just, you know, I've got a book under my arm, or yeah. I've got something in my pocket. The, the context of the, of the exception was you truly have something that's kind of a heavy load, right? And so it's heavy enough that if you're carrying it with one arm, at some point this arm's going to get tired, you're going to have to stop and put it down, pick it up with the other arm, and then keep going, right? Or, you know, it's on your back, you got to adjust it and keep going. That's the context. Um, whether that began in a private or a public domain, I don't recall. I'll have to double check that. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to figure out when that would apply. Because if I stay within the same domain, it's an irrelevant discussion. So I've obviously got to be transferring from one domain to the other to make it even a discussion. Because okay. I can carry a car from the piano from here to the kitchen. That's not a problem. But if I take the piano outside, then the discussion, so, yeah. So, yeah. so what I'm asking you, and, and you may not know tonight, yeah. um, is since that was brought up earlier, I'm just wondering, I get I get the books. You can't bring the, the, the to leave and you know, all this stuff, I get it. But why not now? If I can if I can carry a burden, adjust, as long as I don't stop, I'm, I'm moving through. Well, when does that apply? When you transfer it as soon as you put it down, right? As soon as no, you put it, it down, in public. No, you, no, you can't put it down inside can we, a new can domain. Can we go back to that slide? Do right. you can't go for a month period. You can't go yeah, for a month in a public domain. This, this that's is just an exception. No, there was there was a. This exception, there it is. This Number exception two. is specifically in the context of what constitutes deposit. And so, what they're saying is, if you were carrying. You know, a, a, a load that was heavy enough that one arm is going to get tired or whatever. Right, right. So, right. Not, so I have a deposit. His question is, where can you start? <laughs> and where can you finish? Uh, so if I pick it, it up in my, if I pick it up in the private domain, yeah, and I take it to the public domain, I'm hosed if I deposit. Correct. I get that part. So, but if it's if, if it's, I come all the way the back inside, if the load was. Uh, yeah, and you, again, you get into other yeah. things here, like intent yeah, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. But my understanding is, if the load was, if you were only stopping to adjust, to adjust, I'm good. And, but your intent is you're still, you know, you're still, you know, just continuing to to move forward. That doesn't constitute hanacha. It right, doesn't so mean that there might not be a, a violation. Right, so remember, right. this right here says yeah, that's it. still probably right. rabbinically a problem. So let me see if I got this right. Try this one out. I carry my tallit and my sitter from my house 
to that shul, I have not violated Shabbat while I was carrying it because I never deposited it. But as soon as I stop in the next private domain and put it down, I just I just blew it, right? Because now what I picked up just got deposited, and now I've, I'm host. Right. 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 Yes. So that's the answer to now, the. It, it, so biblically, yes. Rabbinically, rabbinically, there's still a problem because rabbinically, you can't even bring it out. You can't. You shouldn't really even be bringing it out. But isn't it also? But but technically speaking, you haven't deposited. If but, you if you kept walking. Right. 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 If the shul was across the street, I leave my house carrying my sidor and my talit. Yeah. Right. So I've got Akira as soon as I pick them up and step outside. I've removed them from this private domain. I'm now in a public domain. Right. But I haven't completed transfer until I put them down. Now if I keep if I don't stop and I walk directly across the street and into the shul, so I went from a private domain to a public domain to a private domain, and then I set them down on now the chair. Here. Now you got a problem if there wasn't an order. So if I carried them across the street and then realized, oh my goodness, what have I done? <laughs> Turn around and go back into my house and put them down. I didn't violate. And that's exactly what the textbook says. If you leave the house, which by the way, we have a rabbinic, we have a rabbinic, rabbinic law that says every Jew on Shabbat has to check all his pockets before he leaves, right? So that this which, doesn't even, which now makes sense. So this doesn't even. <laughs> Uh, come up with this issue. But if you inadvertently, right, walk out of the, your house and walk into shul on Shabbat and chewing gum, like I've got a piece of gum in my mouth, which by the way you've now transferred. Back to the house. As soon as I, if, I, if I'm walking and I realize, oh my gosh, I got gum in my mouth, don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. <laughs> Do not stop. Your options are, according to the textbook, turn, keep walking. Turn around and go right back to the to your private domain from which you started from, and lose the gun. Right, and lose the gun. Now, if that's not possible, maybe you've already maybe you've already walked a half a mile when you when you clue the fact that you've got something right, and it's impractical uh, or impossible, in the case maybe to return to the private domain from which you began or whatever the domain was when you started. Yeah. Then, if you're in a public domain. So I'm walking on the street when I realize I've got the gum in my mouth. It's a problem, okay? But I realize, so I, I don't stop walking. In fact, they say walk, start circle. walking in a circle until you can figure out what the next plan is, That's right? so cool. Yeah, so okay. you walk in a circle. What am I, what am I, two questions I'm asking myself is, can I, is it practical for me to walk back to the private domain from which I started? If the answer to that is yes, I start walking back. Right. If the answer is no, then I'm looking for a home oh, a tour in the public <laughs> domain to find a fire hydrant to put the gum on. Or the inside of someone's Because you can transfer <laughs> from a public domain to a public And if that's not if that's not possible, put in the earpiece then they say drunk. The object um, in an unusual manner. So let's say I let's say I realize I've got um, my wallet in my pocket. Don't pull it out and set it down. Give a handstand. Just turn your pocket inside out, let it fall. 
Uh. Now you've still you've still violated some rabbinic yeah, yeah. Um, commandments here. But you're closer to not burning in hell. But <laughs> <laughs> you're on the seventh layer. But you're, <laughs> sal- <laughs> you're salvaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but singeing, singeing. You technically, at least at least biblically speaking, yeah. once you don't stop. You have not completed what saw because there's been no deposits. Right, I got you. I'm good about it. Thank you. So, in your hotel example, since you can do public to public, could you theoretically, let's say you left your beach towel outside the hotel in like the common area or whatever else, can you take the beach towel from the outside the hotel to the beach then, right? Because it's public to public. It never goes anywhere, even though you dropped it off. You're, you're, it's all in the same as long general as the domain. The beach is only four cubits away. <laughs> it said it was on the beach. I mean, you know. So let's continue with a couple of examples here. Um, I think Gregory had a question. Oh, uh, it was just it was only clarification on the one thing. So when when because everything that we just said seemed to negate the four emotes because of the not stopping. So when when is it? Well, that's because I started from a private domain. So right. four vote only applies when you've started in public? Yeah, it's public to public. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, while we're clarifying sense. about how long, like, eight is in a Well, each foot is, I'm sorry, each emote is? Uh, it's, it's, I think it's roughly like a foot and a half or something like that. Yeah. So four uh, emote would be six. Yeah. Okay. So also, just real quick, you mentioned something as minuscule as gum. You know, and then we can go up to something, you know, more sizable to lay bag and sedor yeah. onto, you know, something as large as a piano, God forbid. And so there's apparently not really any kind of um, size restriction. It's, just, right. and it's literally common, any object. That's a common misunderstanding. Okay, right? so it's kind of like it's well, it's, it's it's like work in general, right? When we read in the English, you can't do any work on Shabbat. We immediately we're thinking, you know, heavy laborious work. We're thinking has what we, God what we do really for a living, said. right? But that's not the concept of work at all. It's malacha, which is, you know, so it's the same idea. The the transfer of the transfer of a load, as it were, uh, has very little to do um, with the size of the object, um, and so that's a common misunderstanding. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, your wife, as you're walking to the shul, um, your wife notices that the handkerchief in your coat pocket is about to fall out. So you've got, you know, you've got your little, little hanky in your little, little breast pocket, there. pocket square, pocket square. Um, so is our problem with that? Is there a problem with it falling out, or you have it at all? Is there a problem with you having it? Yes. No. no. It's part of your, your suit. But it's, it's not functional. Yeah, I'm going to say no. Yeah. It's true. It's just like a gun. It's part of your gun. We'll talk about that, because I'm not sure our understanding on that has been accurate. So uh, the answer is a pocket square is considered ornamental and is you know, almost like jewelry or whatever mm-hmm. and is not typically a problem. Mm-hmm. So Colby, you can uh, I, 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 
that you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, but don't take it out and start doing stuff with it. Right? Just right, leave, it, right, yeah. leave it in your coat pocket. Right? Now, <clears throat> moving along here. So after a delightful prayer service at the local shul, you return to the hotel, you decide to walk down to the privately owned beach at the resort and take a leisurely Sabbath stroll. Mm-hmm. When you get down to the beach, you remember that you're wearing your sunglasses. Oops. Kosher? Yeah. Or not? If you have we, it's, it's privately it. owned, is it not? The beach is privately owned by the resort. I'm just thinking. Why? You say no. Say no. Why do you say no? I say no because it, it, while it's ornamental like the pocket square, it's functional. It just yeah, it seems like something. Yeah, it's functional. Yeah, so Wait, it's, got, it's, it's got it's got it's got stuff. device used to. What's that? Like yeah, I don't. I'm not buying it. Okay, so who says not kosher? Raise your hand. We got two not kosher. What if you're not sure? Uh, yeah. What's <laughs> 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 the point? Okay, so if you're a wimp. Okay, so the so the answer is it would not be kosher to be carrying sunglasses. Unless the sunglasses are the kind that are like the change, they turn color, permanent ones that kind of flip. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and here's the reason. Here's the reason why the glasses are okay. functional, typically. Although you know, one could argue that there are fashionable sunglasses, but you normally are wearing sunglasses for, for, for function, right? This is also the reason why wristwatches are generally um, per, are o- okay, and you know, the nicer the rich, uh, the wristwatch actually the safer you are in this case because it's considered to be more ornamental, right? Um, a pocket watch is usually not okay because a pocket watch, you know, is typically just there for, for functional reasons, okay? So it's the same idea with the sunglasses. They tend to be more functional, but the other the other issue is kind of more of a, uh, there's also kind of a rabbinic, you know, uh, fence here too, is you're likely to take the sunglasses off when you're in the shade. And so then you're going to deposit them, you know, okay. and you've got a problem, right? So glasses in general, uh, you can wear, if you if you regularly wear sun, uh, not sunglasses, uh, eye, eyeglasses because you need them to see. And so you normally wear them, um, then that's fine because you're unlikely to take them off. But if you, if it's sunglasses, if it's reading glasses, wow. those are not kosher to be turning wow. around on Shabbat. But when you're with it, when you're within your private domain, you can do what you want. That's yeah. That's what we're talking about. Ah, well, never. Yeah. Okay. Generally, yes. <laughs> but we'll just leave it that way. So, is the issue with sunglasses not so much that they're functional as that you might take them off? It's it's. Oh. It's both. Well, because I only ask the question because I, I know people who, like like my mom, she wears sunglasses because she needs to protect her eyes. So when the sun's out, she actually wears them. So for her, it would be more like, and she wears them regularly. So if it's a medical condition or whatever, yeah. you're probably fine. So that falls more to the section of like reading glasses or glasses I wear to see. Mm-hmm. No, no, see, reading glasses are not okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean reading glasses. I just mean like I wear glasses all the time. 
Yeah. Hearing aids, you know, if you need a hearing aid to hear, you can wear it, right? Okay. I mean, uh, walking cane, right? If you if you normally use a cane when you're walking, uh, then you can use a cane. If you normally use a cane to get around in a private domain, you can certainly transfer it to another domain. But if you normally if you use normally in your own home don't use a cane, but then you're going to schlep one. You know, when you're out and you know, yeah. when you're out and about. But if you normally need reading glasses, so if you normally need reading glasses to read, you're gonna take them off. You're not gonna wear them all the time. You're gonna you're not only you're only wearing them when you read. If I'm going to shul specifically to read the prayers, memorize the prayers. I need to get these to shul before Shabbat starts, right? Okay. Or don't stop. So, sorry, I'm a little confused. If you have the, if you just put the sunglasses on your head, like, is that okay? Or? Don't know. What about sunglasses that have like a spray? Ah. Almost like a necklace. Yeah, what about the 1970s? <laughs> Check, the rabbi. Check the rabbi. Check the rabbi. Yeah, the ones with like the corn. Uh, <laughs> Alright. So, while walking along the, uh, the beach, your young son picks up a rock and throws it into the ocean. <laughs> it's, it's not gonna, it's probably, it may not stop me. No. So, so, is that a problem? So is that, is that no problem. Was it one public or public? Public. Well, never left the domain. So, well, so let's, 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 walking along the privately owned beach, what kind, oh, of what kind of domain am I in? That must be a committee water is the key. Well, no, it's a private beach. What is, what yeah. kind of domain is the beach? Carmelite. Everybody who says Carmelite, raise your hand. It's privately owned. It's Alright, so we got three people who say it's Carmelite. Four or five. Four or five. Five people. Who says it's public domain? One. Who says it's private domain? One. Okay. So the answer is depends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it is. So the privately owned. I kind of put that in there just to kind of, you know. Yeah. Doesn't matter that it's privately owned, right? It's the attribute of the space itself. So if it's really, really crowded and it's regularly really crowded, like it's the hotel is like you see, you know, it's like adjacent to South Beach in Miami. There's people you know, there all the time. It's probably public, public. Yeah. right? Um, but if it's but if it's because of the fact that it's privately owned, it's restricted access, yeah, and, yeah. and it's, then it's probably more like a Carmelite. So what's the ocean? Public, yes. Carmelite, definitely. Ocean is public. Yeah, I don't really think definitely because there are six hundred thousand people. Technically, there are seven billion people <laughs> in the ocean. So, Atlantis is a really big place. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so probably. Yeah, an wow. ocean, uh, like the wilderness. ocean, wilderness, desert, you know, those kind of areas are typically Carmelites, you know. Um, so if you're in a Carmelite, can you th can he throw the uh, rock into the into the ocean? Yes. They are not the same. Yes. So never left the domain. So, yeah. so, so biblically, you're fine. Rabbinically, they probably still say. What about the six emote? What about the four emote issue there? Well, because the rock would never stop. 
Well, you're going from pub to Carmelite, so there's no. No. You, but if I can, can't kick a pebble, pebble. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Then Where's, why is that a different? That's a great question, and I'm not sure I know the answer. Okay. Um, but the sources I had said biblically you're fine, but rabbinically probably not. Right. Biblically, don't. So, but Carmelite to Carmelite wasn't in your table, was it? Carmelite is treated as public. It's treated as public. So yes. it's like same, public to public, same public which is only yeah. for one of Right, which is his, which was his okay. point, which is about 50,000. It's a little sure. kid. It's a real short run. <laughs> short run. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Okay, so now, we're almost done here. So now, um, uh, let's see here. Uh, so, just to be clear, rabbinically, we would have a problem with that. Yeah. Just to be clear. Uh, okay, so as you continue your Sabbath stroll on the beach, your young daughter becomes tired and asks you to carry her. Permissible? Yes. 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 No. no. Carry your children. Who says, who says yes? Confused. Yeah, two that say permissible. Three that say permissible. And everybody else says not permissible. Okay. Where, where was this? On the beach. On the beach. You're on the beach. Yeah. And your daughter says, Hey, not tomorrow. Can you carry me? But public to public, you only have four remote. Exactly. So you're not allowed to do it. When, you, uh, you can carry her for four, six. Six feet. And then you get when her. They uh, put her down and then and walk her back up. And pick her back up. So when the, when the so family came to visit, we picked them up at the hotel a mile away and they came out and I offered to carry their daughter and he said no they can walk both the son and the daughter were going to walk because he, he wouldn't let me nor would he pick up and carry the children which is why they stayed here until Abdallah so he could Run back to the hotel and drive back with the van, so the children wouldn't have to walk back. Yeah. So, uh, so if you are in a public domain, um, you know, or a family, then if the child is capable of walking, but doesn't want to, right? I'm tired, whatever. Then you can only carry them six and up. Four. Yeah. So six feet. Six feet. Four. Um, if they're injured, if they're sick, you know, then Difference. do what you got to do. Right. So, um, okay. Last, last hyped up question here. So, after you complete the Sabbath stroll and return to the resort, you walk through the main entrance into the resort. At this point, your wife abruptly stops just outside the door of the resort, removes her nice little cool beach hat, you know, straw beach hat there. Um, reaches into the door and places her hat in your hands for you to carry. Is there a violation? Yeah. 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 Okay, yes. Who is at fault? They're both at fault. Does she accept she let go of it and you <laughs> it, so. Okay. Was that a full marriage? Okay. I'd say it would be like no She transferred. Why did she transfer? She transferred it because she took it out of private domain. Well, she was outside the door. She, right, so, so she took it out of the public domain 
and transferred it into the private domain by placing it in your hands. Exactly right. Yeah. So your, your wife has to pick a again. Your wife violated the Sabbath. Okay. Uh, violated the so on. So you, you just close so the door. You didn't violate it by accepting it. not because you didn't remove it, you didn't transfer it, and you didn't deposit it. Okay. Now, what if uh, what if you would have reached through the door, took the hat from her, and it's your fault, and then you violated it? What if she removes it, sticks sticks her hand through the door with the hat, and then you take it from her? It's still her. You took it from her. You took it from her. She doesn't. She doesn't place it in your hand. Oh, you actually yeah, then you reach out and take it from her. Then you're both involved. Yeah, so yeah, it's still, it's still just you. It's still well, just you because it's her body. She, I don't think anybody's public. She didn't trans. She she transferred it out, but didn't deposit it. You deposited, but didn't transfer it. You didn't bring it. Technically, you're right. So yeah, I got this stuff down. So, so let's talk about this, bullets. by the way. <laughs> this, by the way, this exact example—not not a wife with a hat, but a a a poor man outside the door and a man in his house. Oh yeah, really is really Mishnah really. one of track of of tracking Shabbat? Really? Um, and the context is actually um, is actually um, church. Can you reach through the door and give the poor man charity? Yeah. So there's anyway, but that's the first Mishnah wow. in um, Tractate Shabbat. Is this exact example? I just changed the scenario a little bit. Okay. That's so um, so so we've gone through uh, we've gone through some some other examples uh, before we wrap up here. Anybody have another another question or situation you want to ask about? And I'll see if I can help. Probably I can't with Johnny. And then we'll I'm going to let Joseph go first because I'm actually curious about what he's going to do. Okay. Because I, I know where he's so, going. So uh, <laughs> I'm in a public domain and I shoot him. <laughs> okay, so. So, so you remove the ball and remove the ball and deposit it in his chest. Did the bullet stay in him or did it go through? Ah, okay. So if he's, if, he's, if he's within four, I mean, is that the, is that the self defense thing? I gotta wait until he goes be within four mode. But the force of the bullet knocked him further back. <laughs> but I deposited the bullet, but he's the one. It doesn't really matter because you can't bring the gun with you around. You can't explode. carry the gun. Yeah, I get the gun. All right, yeah, that's good. On the topic of Yeah. Okay. Because I've heard that, you know, if you're wearing it, you know, and it's in a holster, and, you know, you're kind of wearing it as a sidearm, that's permissible. At least in the sources that I have over here, uh, I'm not sure that that's really true. It's know. only true if you regularly wear it because you are military, law enforcement, or something like that. Or weird. Or but very but pro Second Amendment. I mean, be how many times have you seen me without a handgun? It's part so, of your normal. I might get a rabbinic buy. Maybe, maybe so, right? So, but so let's think about that. Let's think about this question practically, right? So, Put the many, of, in the many of us more have, you know, have a have a custom of carrying 
a sidearm um, on on our community shabbats. To protect the congregation. But, and again, you know, I'm not the rabbi, but what little bit that I know, I think with respect to this particular malacha, uh, for any or all of us to just to decide to carry a firearm is probably problematic. I agree. What would be better is to have a designated um, a designated person you know, that says, okay, this person on Shabbat or this these two people or whatever are designated and they will have a firearm for the protection of the community. And you can probably rotate those individuals. They don't have to be the same people. But, I think, I think but you're, you're set you're kind of specifically yeah. setting apart somebody to do that function as opposed to we're all just kind of randomly carrying I, I think I think it's 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 probably even easier if just like the sitters if if you're the guy that's designated you shouldn't be schlepping it. Just pick it up here. You either bring your handgun here on Friday, or you pick one up here when you get here. It's not like he's lacking. I mean, it's not like you don't have a you know, small arsenal. Did you want the Glock today? <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the uh, Glock. My, my boss only fits the waffle, so I'm going to have to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's so that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That was completely something, consistent. Something to think about. Yes, sir. So for those of us who simply must drive in order to be here. Um, exactly. Um, given the you know number of sitterim that are present as well as Bibles, it, what's a what would be a good solution for okay, we're gonna remove our I've got a little baby Tanan, baby Sidor and and Talit. And my daughter has a baby tonight and a baby Sidor. So we're going to have carry them to the car, drive over here, carry them in here, and most likely put them down. Outside of just having one that you leave here, you know, which this not being a, uh, a synagogue, it's a residence, and I'm sure all the you know, additional books laying around for individuals, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to think. Well, what kind of solution would there be at a, at, a, at like when I was in Jerusalem and I went to the great synagogue? They already had you know Tali tote. They're they're already there. They have Tali That's what shuls did. Right? Yeah, exactly. They, already, they have extra Tali tote. They have a machine. They have sitarim already there. Purpose. Right. Exactly. Because that's what you do if you're a Jewish shul and you're trying to keep Sabbath. Right. So. Um, so as far as Sidereen machine, the answer would be we all pitch in, buy more of those so they're here. Now whether Joe wants to score the or not, that's another issue. But that would be the answer as far as that now, Okay. The Tali Tubs, you know, the carrying the Tali, that's a little a little a little trickier, although the solution would you know the easy solution would be um, you know, you have one here that you just stay here. But again, you know, Miss Allen may not want you know, all of our stuff just fluttering up her home. Exactly. Yeah, a couple of things because we've got a couple of questions from the guys watching. Um, first, my, my thought on that is <coughs> the 
there's really only there's really only two choices. Those of you who have to drive here have to violate. It's a given. We get it. We do it because we have to for community, and and we're okay. Because um, we, the other issue that we have for our community is we're all bringing food to contribute. Well, that's that's where we're going. So, so to me, either you. You're going to mitigate as much as you can how much you violate, and therefore everybody has a, a monogrammed bag with their name on it and drops their stuff off here on Friday sometime, or has a double set of everything that we store here for you, my wife will tell you, or because you have to drive, you're going to be schlepping your stuff from your car into my house. Yeah. So, um, David. Um, uh, or for, for the minute, I'm sorry. Or coming home on the topic. Or we have reached the point where we actually need to start thinking about a place. Different, right. different issue. That's a whole different. Right. So David, for the men of Torah, writes about the about the food. You know that you know certainly they don't need to fast on Shabbat, and because of how far I mean they're I mean my goodness they're further away than we are. From each other, so they've got a long way to go. Yeah. So they're the same issue. They've got the same issue we do. It does. It's it. So yeah. uh, to me, the positive commandments of keeping it a holy convocation, in my view, takes precedent over the negative commandment of of carrying. Right. That's my opinion. Others can differ, but that you know the reason you know. I don't justify me driving or carrying on Shabbat. Right. It's a, it is a violation of Sabbath, which is why I don't I don't tell people that I keep the Sabbath because I don't. But the reason I do that is because the opportunity to keep the positive mitzvot of a holy convocation to me is a weightier matter than fact that I have to drive because I live 45 minutes away and the fact that you know we don't have a separate building with its own kitchen and refrigerator that you know as a community we can have food there ahead of time so we don't have to schlep food and right. we can have sitarine and machine. We're not there yet. Right? So we're improvising based on where we're at. And the, and the one is going to demand the other. Right. Um, but we should be, to the extent possible, we should be, I think, taking steps to um, to mitigate, right? In other words, we can't just stick our head in, you know, we can't just stick our head in sand forever and say, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do this because, but then never make any. Right. Any I mean, we started time. out with two full shelves of Siri. And we gave them away only to facilitate people beginning to pray at home. Right. And then, by God's grace, we found ourselves short of Sidereen this past Shabbat. Praise God. I'll buy more sitters, but we just need to figure out Which, what kind. For a while, <laughs> I had stopped bringing my exactly. exactly. And then we started having more people coming, and I said, well, I'm taking mine because I want to make sure there's enough for others. Have the other people exactly. have them. So, you know, I kind of do, you do what you got to do, but, yeah. um, but the long-term answer is... Yeah, there's a little bit of so All right, we got one more question from, yes, uh, uh, this is from a young man that uh, I'm, I'm not sure you know. Um, 
Jonathan, up. Yeah, oh. Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, I was told by a rabbi here in town that even carrying a tissue in your pocket and walking out the door would be a violation. So why would a pocket handkerchief or pocket square that we were talking about earlier be any different? Because it's ornamental. Because it's ornamental. It's the same reason why jewelry, earrings, uh, necklaces, bracelets, rings, uh, wristwatches are not a problem because they're ornamental. Now, if you are carrying, you know, an old-fashioned hanky in your back pocket that, you know, it's just the old snot rag, right? That's functional. That's probably a problem on Shabbat. Because it's not decorative. It's not ornamental, right? But It's functional. But only if you're going to be leaving the domain. Right. So for the one guy in the room that actually does carry a handgun all the time. <laughs> and, have his, very he, and the handgun. Yeah, you're fine. I'm fine. Very yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not a functional handgun. It's an ornamental handgun. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why, that's, <laughs> that's why you buy nice hands. That's right. And that's holsters. Okay. I love uh, the practical examples, Greg. This is the, great. The what to do, we talk, the, I was, what I was going to talk about there was what to do if you suddenly realize you're carrying something. We kind of talked about that with right. you know, not stopping and all that. Um, so the spiritual application here. Why all of this kind of rigmarole, right? I love it. Well, again, it comes back to the concept of Sabbath <laughs> is a picture of the world to come. Okay? So That's can so you transfer... Objects from this world to the world to come, or vice versa. There are no luggage racks on verses. Why'd you bring concrete? Okay, so this, the whole the the you know, tying it back to that spiritual application and reinforcing what's the whole purpose of Shabbat? Why are we setting it apart? What's it trying to teach us? What are we rehearsing every week? Right? When you're when when you're when it's Shabbat. You know, we're rehearsing the Messianic age in the world to come. Amen. And if you can't suddenly, you know, in Olam Habai, you can't say, well, gee, I, you know, I left my center back, you know, can I, let me just go back and get it. Right? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. If you haven't made the preparations and had, you know, done whatever you needed to in advance, et cetera, et cetera, it's too late. Right? You can't take, you can't transfer from this world to the next, and once you're in the next world, you can't come back to get something. Okay, so some some uh, concepts here, you know, Matthew six, right? Yeshua says, um, you know, talking about store up treasures in, in heaven. You know, that concept of, you know, don't don't uh, accumulate stuff here, right? That can Rust and the rust and beast to break in. Exactly field. right. And again, it's not. He's not saying don't have. He's, he's not saying don't have possessions. He's just saying don't let your focus be on the stuff here because you can't take the stuff that you've spent all your life accumulating here. You can't take it with you there. It's not going to transfer. There is no hotsaw of all the stuff you accumulate from this world to the next world. Right. Um, the ten virgins. Parable of the Ten Virgins. Same idea with respect to preparation, right? You know, five of them had prepared and they had the oil and they entered into, um, you know, they they were ready when the Messianic age came, right? When the bridegroom came. And the other five who were virgins, so they were still, they were righteous, but they were not prepared. Their chastity was the same, but their preparation was lacking. 
right? It speaks to the individuality of the of the Torah and its vote and the performance thereof. You can't say, here, give me some of your righteous deeds. Correct. You know, in that in that sense. Correct. Um, and then a couple other references there. Job, of course, in you know, the reference that you know, look, all flesh returns to dust, right? Again, the concept being that you know the physical of this world does not transfer to the next world, right? Um, so, and then statement in uh, chapter four, Pirkei Avot. Um, this was Rabbi Yaakov talking about um, that this world is like a, a lobby to the world to come. So make sure that you're in the lobby and prepared in the lobby so that you, you can enter the banquet hall, right? So that whole concept of you have to have done and had enough forethought and foresight, you know, um, so that when Sabbath, when the world to come is here, you have what you need, you've made preparations, right, because you, you can't move things around, you can't rearrange the deck that way. So, to me, when you, you know, you go through the minutia of all the, the halakhic detail, and it's easy to kind of get caught up in the details, and what about this, what about that, and, you know, but it's good to step back and say, what's the point of all of it to begin with? It's trying to reemphasize and reinforce this concept of there is no transfer between this life and the next. Let's move. Okay. Now, um, here's my resource list. So we're going to close with going back to our story that we started with in John chapter five. Hmm. Or, you should. <clears throat> The account says that it's Shabbat. Yeshua tells the man who was who was a paralytic. He heals him. He says, "Take up your bed and walk." The uh, there were the same person was kind of describing the city the Judeans, so the Jews, right? The Jews. So the Jews see the man. They see he's been healed. And they said, hey, Shabbat, it's against the Torah for you to carry your mat. Okay. So in this situation, is he in a public domain? Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Okay. It has to be in a public domain because they all see him and they're all traveling. Well, well, I guess I would say they would wait to see if he travels more than six feet with his mat. Uh, probably not. It's probably implied. I think that's implied here. Okay. Where was he going? Uh, don't know. doesn't say where he was going. Okay. So that's, we don't know, that would all that would be speculation. All we know is it's Shabbat, we know that he picked up his mat, we know he's walking through, um, uh, he, we know he started walking from the pool at uh, Beit Zena, uh, which was out the Sheep Gate, okay? And uh, he presumably was, you know, he started walking there, not sure what direction he started walking, uh, don't know how far he walked, but presumably it's kind of inferred it was, it was more than four moat. But he was walking enough that some Jews saw him, recognized him, and said, you know, or even if they didn't recognize him personally, Carry saw him, him carrying, right? And said, hey, wait a minute, this is a problem. And he says, oh, well, the man that healed me said, I can do this. So did Yeshua violate Sabbath? I like the 
first days, and I just noticed, praise God, that they were living in a culture where people mm. felt comfortable calling out somebody that were trying to get something famous. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. So, so let's let's break this down a little bit. Um, The sheep gate was outside. Herod, during the time of Yeshua, the sheep gate was outside the city wall. It was outside the Aru of Jerusalem because it was outside the city wall. Um, 30, 40 years later, Herod expanded the wall and then the, sheep, the, the, the pool that's Bethsaida ended up later inside the city wall. But um, at least the resources I read said that at the time, the approximate time of the event that's recorded in John, the uh, pool was outside the city wall because you had to go out the sheep gate. So you're outside the city wall and the pool is just outside the city wall. So you're definitely changing domains. Okay, so we're not in public, I mean, we're not in a private domain because we're not in the city wall. So we're either in a public domain or a Carmelite. It doesn't say where he's going, so we don't actually have to go back and see if we went into. I would say since he's just walking, he probably just kept walking. He never stopped moving. But if he goes more than for a moment. If it's public, if it's though. Public. So it can't be public. If we want to sit in that way. So it'd be Carmelite. Well, Carmelite is treated like public. The, the halakha basically is the same. Okay. Now. So here's a couple of things. So the short answer is, um, we don't really have enough information in the account to, to know, the only thing we know is it was Shabbat, it was outside the Aru of the city wall at that time. So the only thing we can deduce is it was either a public domain or a Carmelite, okay? Uh, we also don't know for sure, although you know we have recorded Tractate, or Mishnah 1 of Tractate Shabbat, which was laid, laid down by, you know, was redacted, you know, what, 100, what was it, 130 Kamara, ballpark? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, we know that there was the understanding of these concepts. Well, sure, um, they jacked the guy up. Right, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, but we don't really have enough information about the specifics of where he went, to really make a judgment on what he did, what he was doing, actually technically, holistically violate the Sabbath or not. My guess is it did, because the Jews knew the took hunting. issue with it, right? right. And they, they the probably hunting. knew the law. So then how do we get around this? In the same way that when Yeah, he said, this, this, he, he said, this man who's been bound by Satan has been loosed. We should rejoice and, and not do otherwise. As if life or the caring for others trumped that halakha. Okay, so in the rabbinic halakha, there is this concept called kevod haberiot, haberiot, is that pronounced? Which is basically translated as um, human dignity. And it basically says any rabbinic um, 
offense, any rabbinic command that's not explicitly Torah, you know, biblically based, but was offense that was that was um, enacted by the rabbis, can always be violated in order to preserve human dignity. Right? So we have a Torah concept that <coughs> that any Torah law, with the exception of a very short list, can be violated for the sake of you know, saving a life. Rabbinic law, any rabbinic law can be violated with no liability for the sake of human dignity. Okay? So probably, based on that, based on the understanding of the rabbinic halakha that was probably prevalent, you know, we don't know exactly, you know, when all of these details of the, of the halakha you know, were finally solidified, but we know they were certain concepts that were, you know, um, understood at some level. Probably the answer is that the Kulat Meitzena was a Carmelite, which is a rabbinically defined myriad. So for the sake of the man's human dignity, uh, he would carry, carry a Carmelite. No problem. No problem. There's no violation of the biblical, of the biblical um, Torah. Uh, and there's no liability for the violation of the rabbinic. Now, for the, uh, for the guy carrying the sticks that you started with, he's in a public domain? He's in a public domain because the desert at that time was considered public because the whole nation was Generally speaking, a desert would be a Carmelite. But you got but you got a city in the middle of the desert. That city area, you know, is you know, and so in that case, the desert because you had a couple million people with women and children, you know, yep. it was basically a public area for all practical purposes. That works. That so. Works. Uh, so that's probably, again, we don't really know for sure, but the most likely answer based on the information we have and the understanding of the halha is it was probably a Carmelite, in which case for human dignity there's, there's no issue. So unlike, you know, unlike Christians who say, oh, see, here's an example of Yeshua you know, violating Sabbaths to prove that you know, Sabbath law doesn't apply anymore, <laughs> or the you know, or the most messianics and Karaites who say, well, no, he wasn't doing away with Sabbath law, but he was doing away with rabbinic, you know, halakha. Uh, so the answer is probably he was certainly keeping biblical um, law, and he was probably well within purvey of of the rabbinic halakha that was understood.
May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet. May your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One. Blessed is He. May you have the self-control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. May your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge. Your heart rejoice in righteousness. And your feet run to hear the words of the ancient of days. All God's Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well done, bud. Thank you very much. Good job.